we just all had diarrhea till we died. And then this combination, we didn't die, but we did see God. So... The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast and this lady was like all about light. She was like, you should definitely get light on your genitals what? and uh, other things. Yeah, she said a lot of things and I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But also- <laughs> oh my God. She was like, because I have this light behind me that's like a thousand suns and it was very expensive and is very, very bright. And she was like, the most important thing, who knows if this is even true. I'm sure there's some truth to all this stuff. But she was like, oh, hang on, I got a mosquito. Die, die, die. That's going to get on me at some point, I'm sure. Anyways, she was saying... uh it's really important not to see any light when you wake up. Like the first light that you have to that you're supposed to see is the sun, the morning sunrise. And I guess if you don't do that, it throws all your out of whack. Sure. People and I'm talk like, about oh, really? That. Yeah. Every day I wake up, I walk into this room with the sun, and the first thing I see is a thousand LED diodes at like 500 watts in my eyeballs. It's actually like the sun. Well, it might be better. There is something to it because I noticed that if I wake up right away and come in here and that light is on and it's the first light I see, it has a very strange effect on my eyes and on my brain. It kind of makes me dizzy. Like it does this thing where it's like a flicker rate problem where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I kind of like, almost feel like a seizure coming on. It's very strange. I try not to do it because it fucks me up, but I've never knew why. I just, oh. then I heard this lady say like, hey, light's important. Maybe don't look at stuff like that right in the morning. And I was like, maybe, maybe there is something to that because I have definitely had the experience of looking into it. It'll happen with other LEDs too because LEDs are not the same as incandescent. Yeah. They like flicker and you can't see it normally, but like in the right state of mind, I can see it and it fucks with me big time. Oh, well, yeah, if you ever, like, just wave your hand around under LED lights, you can see the flicker rate because your hand will not look oh, continuous. Yeah, yeah. It'll look like yeah. it's kind of flashing or whatever. Those new Christmas trees make me sick to look at because those ones have, like, the worst flicker rate ever. They're not supposed to be twinkling, but when you look at them, it's like the whole thing is, like, slightly strobing, and you're like, ah, oh, I can't look at that. It's not Christmas. <laughs> That's, like, the opposite of the vibe of Christmas. That's, like, some kind of weird trippy club vibe, like... Maybe this would yeah. work on mushrooms. It's putting you into some brain state, yeah. It, maybe that means it has a lot to do with Christmas. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. They say exactly. that's why Santa's, like, red and white, because of the Amanita muscaria mushroom, which is the red and white mushroom, and the reindeer. And he's blushing, right. Yeah, the, the, you can't eat the Amanita muscaria without getting pretty sick, but if you drink the piss of a reindeer who does eat the Amanita muscaria, then you can get the hallucinatory effects from it without getting sick, apparently. Oh, interesting. Yeah, also. Anyways, I don't I don't recommend drinking reindeer pee, but I don't no, probably not. Uh this episode is about Santa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Santa everyone. and LED flicker rights. <laughs> no, I have heard the stuff about light. Andrew Huberman, Dr. Huberman, 
I think his first name's Andrew. Is he, he old or young? He's like in his forties, I think, thirties or forties. He's like middle aged. Is he the one that you talked to that you said talked to Jordan Peterson? Yes. Yeah. He's at Stanford. He's the neurobiologist or whatever. You told me about him and I tried to listen to him. And then I feel like whoever I was listening to though, I was like, this cannot be who Ben was talking about. But maybe it was. Does he got a beard? Yeah. Okay. He seems not very Jordan Peterson vibes. He's also a little bit broy. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Then it's he's very different. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But his conversation with Jordan Peterson is really interesting. They have a really good interplay. But uh, no, Huberman. He talks about light and how important it is to get it, especially early in the day when you start your day. And that's uh, it's interesting. There's definitely something to that. I think uh, the artificial light is not good for you. Blah blah blah. But it definitely helps with like. Sleep, and he goes through some of the research and whatnot. Your circadian rhythm. It's got to be a totally linked to your yeah. circadian rhythm, which is changed how I like this light behind me. I, t- I now I just turn like if it's on past like sunset, I gotta turn. I just turn it all off. I can't because I'm yeah. like that can't be good for you. It's literally like an artificial sun. That's the whole point of having right. that, and right. it really is very bright. And I'm like, I don't. I think I'm gonna stop looking at this in the afternoon. Like I'm just done. Anyway, well, so. What is this chicken wing thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I heard another podcast talk about it, and it was talking to, and I know someone who works at the company, I think. There's two companies, and I can never keep them straight. One is like Wild Wing Cafe, and there's another one, I like Buffalo Wild Wing, and then there's maybe Wild Wing. I don't know. There's Isn't there two wing places? Yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings, B-dubs, B-Ws, and then Wild Wing Cafe, I think. Yeah. So someone I know. Those are the ones I. There's more, obviously. Yeah, the but only there's two, two wing places. There's two wing places that I get confused, and it's funny because I know someone who's like, like very close relation, and I don't know which one they were. I always forget, but whichever one it is, it is this one. I should probably just look it up. But I was at their house doing some work, and I heard them on the phone talking. Okay, this is just interesting. It's not really that interesting. It's just like a funny story because. I don't, I'm not in like high level anything. So it's interesting to hear high level people talk. This is a high level person at the wing place. At the, I think at wild, fuck it. I don't know which one. But one yeah. of them, <laughs> whatever. So this person's like president or vice president level of like a human resources, but that's mm-hmm. pretty high up, you know? He said, I actually had a meeting with the CEO the other day or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I was like, mm. do you talk to him very often? And he was like, No. He's like, that was the only time I've ever spoken to him, ever. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, he's not an available individual. Weird, yeah. Wouldn't that be like his boss or something or close to it? Very close, you would think. I don't know if it's a type of management style or structure or what, but I was like, okay, Mm. that's interesting. Weird. So there's this guy who's suing one of those wing places because the boneless chicken wings don't have bones in them. So what? They can't be chicken wings or something. That's like the premise of the oh, lawsuit. It's like the milk lawsuit when they sued the oat milk companies. They're like, you can't call this milk. Ah, oh, maybe that's the premise. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But I could hear them. He was like on the Zoom call. I'm like, are you, are you talking about the wing conspiracy? The wing controversy? The wing. He was like, <laughs> he's like, no, no, we're not. I was. He's like, that's already been dealt with. And that guy's retarded. And I was like, oh, okay. 
But uh, so apparently that's like a non a non problem for them. But that was happening. Like they had this huge lawsuit come at them, and they were like, "Uh, "Sorry, they're boneless wings. Like they're not going to have a bone in them. Oh my god, they're like a wing. (laughs) You know, it's like it was so stupid. Go spend your time some more productive way. Literally. So, but he said, I guess what they do. He 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 told me. He said, you know, I get like ten of those a week. He's like, it's constant. There's he's Ten like, of what? Of people doing that kind of thing. So there's like oh, a God. class of lawyer out there. He, I don't know what he called them, bottom feeder lawyers or something. He said, there's always these lawyers out there and they're constantly coming at these big corporations. And they're just, mm. they're basically fishing for class action lawsuits. Just get big money suits or whatever so they can yeah. make a big commission or whatever percentage. So this guy's chicken wing problem doesn't, couldn't be worth anything but like seven fifty or whatever some chicken wings cost. But in a class action situation, it becomes worth a lot more money, at least to the lawyer. So it's like these lawyers. And see, he said there was he they've come across like Facebook advertisements basically that are just like lawyers that create Facebook pages and create like these ready to go class action lawsuits. Were you ever treated poorly by management at your play at Wild Wing Cafe or whatever, you know, and it's just they're literally just fishing for people to be like, oh, well, I was I was. And if they just get enough mm. people, they'll just come at them with this big lawsuit. And I guess that must be worth it because sometimes I guess it's just easier to settle. And so you can get a payoff anyway because mm. they'll just go here, go away. Here's money. Bye. That's very interesting to me. Yeah. Anyways. The uh, other thing that I heard them talking about for a very long time, they're on the Zoom meeting. We're talking about president level individuals here. And they're talking about- At the about, wing place. At the wing place. And they're talking about French fries. And it's like French all these fries. like, you know, six figure salary guys debating with each other whether or not their French fries are good or do they suck. What? And I was like, yeah, that was the conversation. No, they're not and, uh, doing that. He was like, oh, sorry. This guy who I know, this this guy I know, he uh, he didn't say anything, but I could hear all these other guys going, our fruit fries suck. I mean, to be honest, like any fry is better than our fry. Like they're disgusting. And like another guy was like, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with that. I don't think our fries suck. I think they're fine. Uh, maybe we should just put them in a different container. And he's like, our fries don't travel well. I mean, if you get fries and you take them out. They're soggy and they're cold. They're disgusting. They're not crispy. People don't like them. Anything is better. I mean, we can't get rid of fries. There's no way we're getting rid of fries. We have to have a better fry. What are we going to do? And I'm like, is this real life? Like, this is what you do all day? All right, Scott, oh guy, my God. You just sit here and like listen to people <laughs> <Yeah>. debate, <laughs> debate whether or not fries are should be this way or that way. And they're talking about... So apparently, this one guy goes, everybody coats their fries. We don't coat our fries. Coat their fries. In exactly. Wet. Exactly. And so the guy, that's a thing, I guess, in the fast food world. And he was like, he's like, there's nothing more disgusting than coated fries. But like, if we have to coat fries to sell more fries or to make our fries good, like maybe we need to just look into coating the fries. So I guess other companies uh... like put something on their fries so that when they fry them, they have like a different texture. They're like crispier. Somehow a coated fry stays hot longer. Like that's a thing. I mean, it's very interesting conversation at the highest level of a fast food or whatever they call that moderately sped food. Weird. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. You work for a fast food chain. You're like really high up and you got to figure out if the fries are shit or not. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess I'm surprised. I would think that there's more like data driven or consumer driven conversation going on instead of just like a couple of guys at the top arguing about the fries are good. The fries suck. <laughs> well, that was what I thought weird. was weird is that they were telling their opinion of their yeah. own fries rather <laughs> exactly. than being like, look, customers hate them. Exactly. I think what the dilemma from what I can tell for Buffalo Wild Wings or Wild Wing Cafe, one of the two, seems to be the problem seems to be that if you get the food delivered, it, the fries are no good. Like they're gross by mm. that time. And I have had a gross fry. It's delivery. So, you know, you get like, it's kind of like when you get a delivery or you pick up a to-go order from a restaurant that you really would never do that from, like Mexican. Yeah. Like it's hard to get Mexican food delivered or like pick Some it up. Some things don't deliver well. Yeah. Soggy food, you know, it happens. Like my nachos are like pudding now. I don't know. This is gross. It's just, a, you know, how do we make the, I mean, it would be the, so when you're like, I guess because Wild Wings is kind of like, they're probably like a 50-50 restaurant where it's like half the people are ordering it for like business lunches or whatever or gatherings, takeout, and half the people are dining in because they have like a dine-in with like a whole experience, live music and a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's like, the food is mm. good. Do we change the food? Because people that get it delivered go, ew, this is gross. Something's wrong with this. Our fries are disgusting and we're getting complaints. I don't know. I thought it was, it was kind of fun. Weird, yeah. I didn't know if that would spark anything in you because I know you, you're not, we're neither one of us are remotely close to the food industry nor have we ever been. But, you know, it's kind of, it almost made me think of like the UX people. Oh in a weird God. kind of way. <laughs> exactly. We need to think about the user experience of the fries. I know. I'm glad I know about UX now, so I have something to complain about when things glitch out on me. I was using Facebook oh recently, God. and it kept trying to, I'd like try to show Kim a picture or, or something, and it would just scroll halfway away. And I'm like, why is it? It, does, it wants me to scroll. I don't want to scroll. I want to watch the video I'm watching. <laughs> and then I'm like, UX people. And then I just get mad, and I get the oh channel my, my rage. Yeah, you could just start messaging them hate mail or whatever. Yes, uh, God. No, uh, well, that's interesting. I don't know much more about that. That's weird, though. I uh, I do have bad food experiences from time to time, and I don't know about fry coatings. So that's all I have to say about that. Me either. Something to look into. I do anyway. have this other thing. Yeah. This is just a finding. Maybe we won't talk about this either, but this is published in... Cell this last week. S E L L C E L L C E L L. It's like one of the prestigious scientific journals, like Nature and Science. Cell is right up there with that. Um, also, just side note, you know the etymology of the word prestigious? I do not. It comes from a French word, prestige, meaning right. deceit, and it goes back to a Latin word meaning illusion or delusion so it's literally like just means like lies and i think it's kind of weird that we're like the best universities are the most prestigious you know it's like they're full of lies <laughs> this is just like interesting i don't know how it our academic institution i feel like that's the only context you use the word prestige in and yeah so anyway this is in a prestigious journal a lying um, journal got it yeah it says, I'm just going to read from it. The highlights. Plants emit ultrasonic airborne sounds when stressed. The emitted sounds reveal plant type and condition. And plant sounds can be detected and interpreted in a greenhouse setting. And so here's the summary. 
Stressed plants show altered phenotypes, including changes in color, smell, and shape. Yet airborne sounds emitted by stressed plants have not been investigated before. Here, we show that stressed plants emit airborne sounds that can be recorded from a distance and classified. We recorded ultrasonic sounds emitted by tomato and tobacco plants inside an acoustic chamber and in a greenhouse. While monitoring the plant's physiological parameters, we developed a machine learning model that succeeded in identifying the conditions of the plants, including dehydration level and injury, based solely on the emitted sounds. These informative sounds may also be detectable by other organisms, and this work opens avenues for understanding plants and their interactions with the environment and may have significant impact on agriculture. This is so frustrating to me because oh, on one hand... <laughs> Mr. A is frustrated by the science. It is weird. I this is interesting. It's a little meta because I had one note today, and I just I thought I was going to open up with this phrase... I love science, but that don't get it twisted. Um, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but I think it's frustrating to hear that because, well, we'll see how well it fares in the future. That could be immediate. Like next oh. week, it'll be like they're full of shit, not replicable. But well, it did get published in Cell, meaning it was peer reviewed by some you know okay. top notch people supposedly. So. Well, I took this course called Sensation and Perception, and I remembered this theory that, like, we kind of glossed over it, but I kind of was blown away for a minute by it. And it was when we were talking about the olfactory system, which would be your smell system. And there's a theory within smell, within olfaction, called the vibration theory. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. That um, we actually didn't know what was producing different smells, and some people have sort of theorized that it's actually vibrations. Different yes. vibrations are what cause you to smell different things. It's frequency, but that, which is interesting, because that's kind of like what sound is. Mm-hmm, right. So right. It's, it's, it's a little strange that we're like, we've always been studying smells and like ol the olfactory parameters around plants and now we're studying vibrations or sounds oh interesting like that there's such hmm. a chasm there it seems like that seems interesting to me uh, but there's also this part of it hmm. that is annoying because i feel like people have probably said that forever you know like plants give off vibrations and they can communicate and there'd be like little studies you know that have been like totally shit on by science by mainstream mm -hmm. academia that sound just like this kind of thing. But now that it's been published in this journal, now we can take it seriously because the right people said it at the right time in the right context. Something mm. about that just rubs me the wrong way, especially considering last week's article about the Oreos and what the perfect way to open an Oreo is. Uh, I don't know. This is a study done by MIT. MIT, prestigious uh, university. Anyway, but that is interesting. Yeah, I read, I think it was the same article I came across. It was saying plants are proven to talk to each other, which is probably the same. Yeah, so that's actually not the conclusion from the paper. It's just the um, headline. The yeah, I think with. that's a misinterpretation, but it is an open question. Is kind of like, so now that we know that they're doing this, we kind of wonder if they're communicating with each other. That was not the focus of the study is whether or not plants are communicating, what they were able to do was identify that particular sounds can be associated with different plant states. 
Now, whether or not other plants are receiving those signals or other animals are receiving those signals and whether they know what it means is like another research question. Yeah, I'm not at all surprised by it. That's for sure. I think it's kind of like obvious in a sort of way because the closer you are to all of like nature, which we're a little closer here with like all the gardening and stuff we do, you just observe strange things, you know, that don't really make sense. And you know that there's a reason for all the things that are going on and you don't know the reason at all. Even like that tomato I just showed you, all those hairs. Fuzzy wuzzy tomatoes. Yeah, they're not just like protection against, although zero pests on this plant right now behind me. Every other Mm. plant covered. So it clearly has a deterrent effect, but it probably has all sorts of other functions that are highly integrated and complicated. It's like your hands are for touch. It's not just touch. Like they're super highly capable. Mm, Sure. Appendages of manipulation and sensation and all sorts of different features that play into it. And I just like, of course, a plant would be that much more complicated. I think there's a lot of people that believe that, but like believe it in a woo-woo way, you know, like plants are people too, like that kind of thing. <laughs> but there's just a, anthropomorphizing there's, them. Yeah, but there's like a truth in that, you know, because yeah, I think yeah. what you find, like the more science you do, like you find the more crazy and amazing stuff just is. Like it's just so yeah. complicated. Like you could just study plants forever and ever. And you never figure everything out because there's so many like secrets hidden within the universe of just like crazy stuff that you could never know or that you could know. But it's just like you couldn't know without just like you just have to keep looking and looking and looking and going like what is going on? Yeah, to me, I kind of read it and they sort of postulated like maybe this would help explain some of the interactions that are happening between plants and other animals and insects and other plants. Um, like we recently discovered that plants are communicating through the mycelial networks. So that's how, you know, when disease happens in one area of the forest or whatever, they can, other plants can sort of ready up their defenses or whatever because they're getting information from other plants in the forest. That's super interesting. Well, the mycelial networks, like, literally help the trees and vice versa. Like, just on a general day-to-day basis, like, one doesn't really exist very well without the other because they... One like is better at sequestering nutrients that this one needs, and it's really complicated. Like yeah, this there's tree, also some direct symbiosis. Yeah, and or like one tree can get a signal from the mycelial mycelial network, but the way that it gets the signal from the other one tree to another is through the mycelial network. But there's a fee paid to transmit the message, and it's nutrients. So the plant, the tree one, has to give. Something oh. to the mycelial network. Interesting. A little economy. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll take this message. And whether it's conscious or not conscious, of course, it's probably less conscious and probably more mechanically mediated, perhaps, where it's like, if then kind of thing. Like, if I, if I have this, then I'm capable of transmitting the message, perhaps. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? But, yeah. But then it takes it over and then that tree can like get the message and like make some exchange again and go, ah, yes, I can, there's a pest in the woods. I can start producing this kind of sap or this kind of compound to like perhaps get a little bit more robust. Yeah, I think that has to be happening. Otherwise, catastrophe could strike, yeah. which is kind of be striking all the time, it seems like. Right, anything right, yeah. Just wipe anything out. You know, one bug comes across from China and all of a sudden, bam, like everything dies because... Invasive species. Yeah, there's just, it likes that tree and that tree's done for, which can happen. Does like catastrophes do strike, but. Yeah. 
No, I was thinking it made me think about like there's some weird plant interactions with insects that we don't really understand super well, and maybe this would help us understand them. But uh, I was thinking, well, maybe maybe there's sounds that the plant is emitting that we just can't hear or whatever, because that was the whole paper. Is like these are ultrasonic frequencies that are outside of the range of human hearing, so we've never been able to detect them directly or perceive them directly. But I also wonder about that. Like, another thing it made me think of was like, you know, when they do those psychedelic research or whatever, not when they do psychedelic, but there's stories about psychedelics when they go to South America or the jungle or whatever, where people, particularly with DMT, because DMT is the combination, in order to make it psychoactive, you have to have two specific plants combined together. And people will say, like, the plants told us or whatever. And no one, two like, of knows. Which are right here in the backyard, but yeah. Yeah, no one knows what that means. But then I was like, what if, like, I don't know, like, what if there's some level of perception that humans have or humans did have? Like, if there's sound, like, I don't know, like, maybe maybe there's some way of perceiving something that plants are doing that we are not perceiving today that was more readily perceived in the past or something. Like, because you can be more or less sensitized to things or more or less desensitized to certain stimuli. Um, so I could believe that, like, in the past, people were, you know, more sensitive to these things. And maybe they did hear things from the plants. I don't know. Like, I literally don't know. That is a crackpot yeah. theory. But there are things like that. It's also possible that the method of communication when the plants told them what the right combination was it told them by not killing them that particular time you know what i <laughs> right. mean like yeah it could just well, mean everyone we were just eating vine <laughs> soup and tree soup we we're just putting it all together and then we just all had diarrhea till we died and then this combination we didn't die but we did see god so the plants told us uh it's the best we got <laughs> Right. No, that's the best theory I've heard about that. It's like they were actually just mixing a bunch of different plants together, trying different combinations, you know, just like natural experimentation, novelty seeking that humans yeah. do. Which is, which is totally, I could buy that so easy because there are right. things you run across that are just weird. You know, I mean, like, have you ever, I had black spot poison ivy one time. Have you ever had that? Where it's like poison ivy, but it's black on your skin. It looks like someone took a ink pen like a not a ballpoint, but like an ink pen has like a, a more liquidy ink in it, and like you flick flick it like that, and like a drop gets on your skin, and it'll you know how like you have little crevices and cracks in your skin, like mm -hmm, little tiny mm -hmm. hair lines, and it kind of spread out. That's what it looked like. Someone dropped the ink right on my skin, and it just kind of spread out, and I couldn't get rid of it. I wiped it. I wiped it. I used like solvents and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, what is this? And it felt funny. It felt numb. Oh, like, I don't know God. what this is. And then eventually it became the worst case of poison ivy I've ever had. It ate a freaking dime size hole in my ankle. Eventually, oh my just God, like, that's like disgusting. it ate my flesh away. It was crazy. Wow. And I, find, I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, black. So you might come across something like that and be like, whoa, sometimes when I touch this plant, this crazy thing happens. <laughs> Eats a dime sized hole in my flesh. Yeah, or you mix two things oh together in your bag and you feel that it's like producing heat for some reason or one pull, you know, is mm, causing the yeah. sap to draw out of another. You just like run into like interesting phenomenon and you get curious and be like, what's happening? What? How do I make this work? Like that makes sense to me. Plant medicine. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to change the subject, but I'm just pointing this out. This has always blown my mind. 
I can totally see how we stumbled across plant medicine. I do not understand how we stumbled across metallurgy. Like, how hot was the fire that you figured out if you melt rocks, sometimes you get shiny liquid stuff? That seems so unlikely that you would just like, oh, we accidentally made metal with the world's biggest bonfire like i don't know like how you figured that out we just decided one Mm -hmm. day to start digging without metal into the ground with sticks or something and we found ore like i mean what happened yeah maybe it was a soft metal like aluminum or something maybe or natural fire pit or something or maybe gold you can which you can see in the water sometimes like particles and you start just collecting the stuff and you're like if I put this on fire, I can actually put it all together. Oh, it must be coming from the rocks. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Anyways, I just find human ingenuity. I mean, wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, our curiosity and how we've discovered all the things that we have now. Um, but yeah, anyway, there's all these weird relationships between animals and insects and plants and things. Oh, yeah. There's, it's like well known that like birds migratory patterns or even their flocking patterns they do are well worth investigation because they're so we look at them and we're like that is intentional and important and it's doing something highly functional and seems like if we wanted to do it it would take we would need like mathematics and all sorts of stuff to even understand what they're doing to even attempt a replication of it and then we go well they're animals so they're they have no sense of any of that stuff yet they're actually capable of producing this. And I actually think that's probably where all scientific inquiry really comes from. Where else should it come from? Mm. Because science is really just a series of questions. And when your questions are inspired by nature, I think that's the best science. And it's, to me, I feel like we separate them so much. We talked about this last time, like the isolation and like sterilization Mm, of things. But I think that nature teaches us, not in a woo-woo way though, it could be in a woo-woo way if you want to live that way. That's I think that's like totally fine and healthy to live woo-woo with plants. Like if you're like, oh, they speak to me and I talk to my plants, <laughs> like do that. It's probably healthy, you know. But at the same time, I think it's like it's like the seasons. Like, And it's more than just like we were saying last time. Again, the just so story. Like, well, because it happens this way, everything is accustomed to it happening this way. And I think there's a degree of that that's true, that like chaos happens and then accustom- you know, you get become accustomed to the chaos. So like mm-hmm. trees can survive, some trees in certain areas can survive certain types of winters that are present in those types of areas. And then they come back and they lose their leaves and they come back and lose their leaves and they, I mean, every year. And I have a black walnut tree. It does this and it has certain years. I have no idea what dictates this, but some years the amount of walnut, black walnuts that fall from the tree is unbelievable i have walnuts that i gathered from three years ago and i don't have walnuts from last year because the production was so small but i mean you look it up this is common like they have like Hmm. certain years i don't know but they're it's something like that's math though you know like that's that's Hmm. measurement it could be measuring something it could be timing something it could be a cycle of some kind and i think we can learn from those things just like so my point with the seasons is like everything dies back. Like right now I cannot see like 20 feet behind my house, but two months ago I could literally see a highway. Cause of the foliage. Yeah. That's just how much stuff went away and came back. I think this is one of the most interesting. I wish I knew more about it. Cause then we could talk about it, but I can't remember what they call it. It's like the, is it like the life cycle of landscapes or something where 
I think you can start oh, at like mm-hmm. desert and like eventually it works its way back around to desert or something. But forests around here have certain kinds of trees and there's a place down the road that's like been forested longer and you can find different trees there, but it's the same exact location, really. Ultimately, it's like across the street, but it's just not been touched for longer. And so I've noticed naturally just from observation that pine trees around here are one of the first trees to come in right they're like a pioneer species they call them or whatever and it's so it's so obvious if you when i look at it i go it's so obvious pine trees and privets like that's what seems to grow immediately pine trees privets and thorns which work perfect and this is why i don't trust the theory of evolution because i'm like (laughs) i can make a story for it right it's like well the thorns keep the traffic the traffic low the privets shade the soil to keep the moisture in and to let decomposition happen so that fertility can occur in the soil and start a biological process that's completely necessary. The privets have thousands of leaves and they drop them every winter. So much fertilizer. The pine trees are the first to pop up. Pine trees pop up in our flower beds every year. They just, they're so quick. What are the privets? These ones here that we have are people, there's different kinds. Some people use them as like in their landscaping, but we have these horrid creatures known as Chinese privets and they just they're prolific like shrubs just Mm. they grow everywhere you cannot kill them if you chop them back a thousand more grow in its place I mean it's unbelievable you could chop it back to nothing and by the end of the year it will take over whatever you tried to cut it off of it's it's so prolific but then but the the more shade they get they'll still grow but they grow spindlier and spindlier and spindlier until finally they disappear and they give way to whatever it has given suitable environment to so the pine trees pop up and the pine trees are we have one left or a couple like two that are huge and they're loblollies so they grow super fast and tall and then they put their leaves out above all the stuff that's growing at the base and when they get tall enough it's the tallest tree out there and of course it is and all of its leaves are at the top Mm. it's a that's what loblollies look like we all say it's like Oh, they're the first to fall. That's all they do is crush houses. And it's true, but it's like, then what happens? The pines fall, they decompose, and now the old growth stuff, the slow growing hardwoods come in. And so you'll mm-hmm, get oak mm-hmm. trees. Then the oak trees come. They live about 60 to 70 years. They grow these huge sprawling branches that are super prone to disease and to falling off. And then they fall off and then eventually die. And then you start getting your like, alders and uh those other ones and the only reason i've even figured this stumbled across this kind of science is by looking for like mushrooms and like what kind of trees they grow best on and that kind of thing and they would recommend Mm. like where to find them so like you have it would be like oh that's why the old growth forests in california are so prolific and in washington and stuff because they have these super old growth trees which are prone to showing up much later in the life cycle of a landscape Mm-hmm, and I have, then mm-hmm. I've I found a couple back behind us, which used to be a peanut farm, but it's been a couple, like 50, 60 years. And those particular trees, I have found them and they're just, they're about six to seven feet tall. And all the big stuff is starting to fall. Like two or three big pine trees fall every year in the woods behind us. So to me, that's like nature doing. It's like a process. A whole, yeah. It's doing this whole thing. And that's a very protracted long one. But just right, this, every right. year the seasons go by and it does the same kind of thing. Like all this stuff dies back. It does something. It puts nutrients back into the soil. All these decomposers, roly polies, centipedes, worms, 
black fly larvae, like all these things just start eating away and like creating the soil layer. And without that winter, that process would be so much slower. And there's actually tons of plants, especially lots of flowers, which are difficult to grow if you're not like really tedious with it because they have to be cold stratified, which is basically like there's certain seeds that you'll get that'll literally say, put this in the refrigerator in the freezer for three weeks before you plant it. And it's like, what? How does the seed, this? how can the seed know that it was cold? Like it's a freaking seed. Sure. Like how, what is, what is happening that it knows it got a winter past because it doesn't want to sprout before the, the winter. That would be dangerous. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. how did that happen? And there's an evolutionary story to be told perhaps, but I'm like, forget the evolution. If you put evolution before everything, I feel like you steal the knowledge away from what's happening. Because now there's no intelligence behind it at all. It's just some kind of an adaptation accidentally. And now you're claiming that accidental adaptations and usefulness, random usefulness, accounts for everything good. And it's like, I guess? But that's so Hmm. whitewashed to me. You know, it's like... Mm. You, and then at the same time, science is like, by the way, plants talk with voices and hear with ears. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> like, not really. But you know what I mean? That's like they're almost they're like, hey, how cool is this? Plants talk to each other, says cell, the journal of cellular biology or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that is cool. Can you say something cool about it? It reminds me of this meme I just saw that said. Scientists just discovered a huge, expansive rainforest on the top of a mountain in some place or whatever. And then the first comment, which was part of the meme under it, said, great, don't touch it. You know, it's like, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, just leave it alone. Yeah. It's doing its thing. It's doing something cool. I'm not that kind of a greenie, but I'm like, that exactly. It, still, yeah. Yeah, cool. Leave it alone. Let nature do its thing. Scientists have yeah. cut down the rainforest in order to understand it better. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Evolution is like this problem where you're given the answer beforehand and then you're like trying to tell what the problem was. Tell us the story based on the theory. And it's like, but what if I, what if I just had an open-ended question instead of trying to fit it into the answer that you've already given me? Yeah. Well, it's sort of, yeah, you're like starting with the answer already. So I feel like there's always this problem to me where you're just you're making these like just so stories. It's not that evolution is completely wrong. Like I think there's definitely this general principle of things adapting to nature like nature and its creations have this symbiotic relationship where they're, you know, mutually adapting to one another. But it's like the particular story of like how things evolve when people be like this is the evolution behind this thing or whatever. Um I always am like a little suspect because it could be anything like you could have said any story or whatever. You're like you kind of just make something up where you say this is what we observe. So these things must have been the things that were selected for. And then you're like and in order for those things to be selected for, these must have been the conditions or whatever. But it's not like these must have been. There's like the variety of conditions that could have been true. It's like just up to the, you know, creativity of your imagination, like whatever kind of story you could come up with. Yeah. So there's that. The other thing I was thinking about evolution that's kind of weird recently is so people will say this thing where they're like evolution isn't selecting for like a final organism. Like it's not it's not going to culminate into one organism or whatever. 
because nature is always changing and whatever. Like people will be like, well, why if nature's selecting, you know, like why wouldn't there just be one super, you know, organism that is perfectly adapted to nature? And then I was thinking about that and I was like, but what if that's not true? Like what if that kind of is what nature is doing? And like when people say man is made in the image of God, it's like a statement about man being almost the perfect organism. And by perfect organism, I mean like we are a good model of the environment because I think that's what, like what is evolution really? Like organisms, in order to be good operators, this is a theory, like a physics theory actually, like in order to be a good operator in an environment, you have to be a model of that environment or a good model of that environment. And so that's sort of what nature is doing when it creates organisms and organisms adapt and whatever, like they have to be good models of the environment. And the organisms that are the best models of the environment are the ones that are most likely to survive and thrive. And so then you think about what's the best model of the environment. And then I was like, maybe people like, cause people are so adaptable just like nature is. And I thought that was like a really interesting way of interpreting maybe this like humans are made in the image of God, like because God is nature, maybe it's like one way to interpret. And then you could think like humans are a good model of nature because we're adaptable like nature. That's like my crazy crackpot theory I just came up with last week. Uh, but there you go. What are your thoughts? Uh, it is interesting. It's like it's in the context of everything, like all activity in the seeming chaos and destruction of nature. And it's horrendous because that's like what keeps people at bay from like the naturalistic fallacy or whatever that like be, it's like natural so it's good or or something like that you know like because mm. there is stuff or there are things that you can observe that seem like not so great about nature or about nature or... you know like you whatever but at the same time you know like i think i mentioned this like i saw a deer foraging where it's like was broken is bending backwards but it was still just foraging and like acting basically normal but like even that being the weak link is horrible for it, but it's probably better for the pack because it's the one that gets left behind. Mm, and maybe good for the predator. And good yeah. for the predator. So it's like within all that chaos and whatever we're observing, maybe, like you were saying, like it's kind of all this journey to perfection in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's the only way it could be because like, this notion of like everything or God, if there's a notion of God and there is a God and it is what is claimed to be God, like it created everything. It's a reason for everything. It's the reason for existence at all, which is kind of my famous quote, why something instead of nothing? Like that's mm -hmm. an unanswerable question, you know? Mr. A. <laughs> right. Why something instead of nothing? And so if you have a, a God or something that it that thing must contain everything if everything came from it and if nothing was before that thing also an unconceivable notion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or an inconceivable notion so but if that one crazy thing can be true that something instead of nothing which seems true because it seems as if something instead of nothing whatever the something is we may not know there's millions of theories. It's real. It's a simulation. It's this, it's that, it's chaos, it's order, whatever. It is something. And so then we observe the infinite possibilities within that of pain and suffering and love and harmony and all these things that God 
must contain all the parts of the that good and bad. Mm-hmm. Like God is the sum total of all those things. Maybe this is why I think Christianity is so like interesting and deep because there's the Savior in Christianity. There's Jesus. Actually, in all traditions that are ancient, there is some kind of there's like the the final Buddha, whatever they call that guy. The um, there's the Jewish Savior that's supposed to come. There's the there's Jesus. There's whatever. So there's something about that. So it's like, what is Jesus for? Like it's the Son of God. Mm-hmm. It's like the human, it's God made what? Man. So it's not God made evil. It's not God made tree. It's not God made plant, which maybe God is made that, but this is, this is the example particularly of God made man mm. or the son of God. And what is its, mm. what is its perfection? Like what is its ultimate harmony? And it is this new message that is set aside. What, like just, just read what Jesus said, you know, there's like hardly any, there's some condemnation, but it's like mild, you know, it's not the condemnation that was going on Old Testament. It's not throw fornicators out of the city and burn everything they own and kill their children, you know, not that kind of thing. It's this other, it's this new covenant, this whatever, you know, all these different metaphors and it's love your neighbor. People get this so confused by the way, but like love your neighbors as you love yourself. That's not what it says. It says love your neighbors as I have loved you. So it's like, you suck. This is the right way. Do what I did to, uh, to other people. And this is the perfection of man, you know, that you would lay your life down for your brother, that you would, you know, this kind of mm. d- new story and this way to be, what would Jesus do? You know, like, I think that was a really good slogan from like the 90s or early 2000s, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, because if you just thought that. Good keychains. Yeah, but little fabric braces with a clip on them. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, what you said, and then there's what I said. I don't know if I made sense, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, because well, it must be something like that. It is, yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing. I don't know what they were trying to mean when they said things like that, when they wrote that down. Like, you know, Jesus is man- or God in the image of man, uh, things like that. I was also thinking, this is like another added layer of maybe exploration here, is so we used to think people thought like there were different kinds of people, like, you know, like the different races or whatever. Um, But beyond just the races, like people thought there was like primitive man and enlightened man. Like I was literally reading a... I'm in an old Airbnb and there's a 1928 version of National Geographic and I was reading some of it. Wow. Yeah. It's the eighth one they published. Yeah. So it's the eighth, eighth version. So before they uh, became pure pseudoscience. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Before it was (laughs) just pictures. Before they were uh, pseudoscience and trans activism. Yeah. By the way, it's mostly ads. Like (laughs) you think there's a lot of ads today, like. There's only like five pages of actual material in that thing. The rest of it's just ads. Well, people used to pay, I heard this recently, they used to pay millions of dollars to do ad campaigns in like magazine, just in like magazines. Like that actually used to be a worthwhile business to be in. Right. Yeah. Probably because it was like there was so little media that you're like, if you get the magazine, you're like getting one sixteenth of all media or whatever, yeah. you know. There, there's all these anyway. magazines in our shed from like years and years and years ago. And it's just like 
cigarette ad after cigarette ad after cigarette ad after yeah, cigarette yeah. ad. And then it'll be like a boombox by Magnavox. And it'll be like a camera that can record on VHS tapes. Like, wow, this is like so weird. But full page yeah. ads, you know, they paid ungodly amounts yeah. of money for. Yeah, it was crazy. There's a lot of ads in there. It'd be fun to talk about those too. Um, but I was reading this part and there's this picture of some people and they are carving a canoe and I think they're in Africa, um, the people. And then one of them is using a hammer and the description, the, the caption literally says like primitive man using enlightened man's tools like because these people were using a hammer um, instead of just a rock and chisel or whatever. That's enlightening. Yeah, it was really weird. And I was like, this would not be acceptable to publish today. Like, you could not say, like, especially because of the people in the picture, like, you could not say, right. these are primitive people. Like, that would be crazy. Um, because they but, don't wear blue jeans. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's, uh, it just was striking to me because I was like, wow, people used to think, like, there were different kinds of people. Like, there were enlightened people like not like just personally, like there were enlightened groups of people and there were unenlightened or primitive groups of people. And so it's interesting to me that this notion has sort of died away. Like I think we sort of think of the human race as like, oh, we're all the same. We're all one species. But I think that denies our very experience that there's actually a lot of variability in the human species. Um, and if you just think about like the range of IQ, for instance, like the people at the top of the IQ distribution in the human species compared to the people at the very bottom, like those people, it's almost like they're different species. Like they can hardly communicate. I mean, they can, but it's like the person operating at, you know, the highest level of human IQ possible. Like, I mean, we talk about this, like these are people are like savants, like we can hardly understand them. Like they're so crazy intelligent and it's almost like they're like a different species. And also if you just think about like, Darwin's theory of evolution, like different groups of animals, like a species broke off, you know, and then it developed into subspecies and whatnot. Why wouldn't we expect the same thing to happen with humans? I you know, think like, there's, I mean, this yeah, could totally happen. I think there is though, like a problem with IQ testing. And I actually, in like a debate, if you like some people debate mm -hmm. this topic, yeah, I would, yeah. Well, it's a very hot topic right now. Right. And I would side probably more so, I feel like the more logical people are the people who are like, no, the IQ is measuring something. And I think that's true. I don't know. I would never do an IQ test because I don't want to know. I'm scared that I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> so, scared to know how dumb I am. Right. So, well, it's hard just to talk about this stuff because it's so morally valenced. Like, I don't want to insinuate that higher IQ people are better or more morally no. worthy than lower IQ people. Yeah. And this is what, so this is why I think like good evidence on the flip side of that to say that IQ is not measuring anything useful is that like, I have this friend, I think I meant, Kim said I mentioned him in a podcast that she listened to, but I don't remember mentioning him, but I'm going to mention him now. And he's just like this redneck guy and he can't like even really spell good. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can't he, spell good. He can't spell good. Like spell well. <laughs> cell is always S A L E. Oh yeah, you did mention this. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I am constantly just blown away by the things this guy can do. Mm, mm -hmm. So for example, I sent him some pictures of what I do. 
sometimes, you know, be like, check this out. I should have shown him some mushrooms. And he was like, what is that? Styrofoam? And I was like, what? I was like, no, it's mushrooms. He's like, wait, so you can eat those? And I'm like, yeah, duh. Like that's, I've already told you this, you know? And he's like, I got to look into about that. And I'm like, yeah. And another example, I was like, hey, I ask him like handyman stuff sometimes because he's so fucking handy. And I'm like, do I need to buy this jig for these hinges I'm about to install? They're like concealed, you know, like European style hinges. And he's like, I don't know what that is. And then I'm like, sure you do. Let me just send you a picture. I sent him a picture. He's like, wow, never seen those before. And I'm like, I haven't seen a house in like 50 years that doesn't have these hinges. So, okay, I guess you've never seen these hinges. That's fine. And if you're wondering what kind of hinges I'm talking about, probably just go to your kitchen and look at the hinges on your cabinet. That's the hinges I'm talking about. Just your basic hinge. Yeah, so he was no help there. But then later that same day, he was like, I've been working on my wife's van. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And a couple hours later again, he's like, I figured it out. And I was like, oh, cool. What was wrong? You know? And he's like, well, there's this sensor, you know, between this plate and this thing. And I figured that that sensor must not be working. So I put some shims in basically some thin material between this plate and the sensor and pulled that back a few millimeters, reattached it. And the car started right up. And I was like, dude, I would never think of that i would it would never cross my mind to put shims anywhere and anything in a car that might fix that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and we're talking about a guy that can't spell sale or sell you know doesn't know the difference grammatically right 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 you know so it's like i'm saying if you if that guy has whatever he's got you take someone with like what's a genius like 140 iq like that person, if their IQ is significant and means something significant, they should be highly, highly successful individuals that could have figured out that that sensor was the problem and it needed shims, whatever that means, two or three hours before the other, this this guy that can't spell cell. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know I, I think, mean? yeah, maybe that's one argument, just that IQ isn't everything. It's not all... I and in that context, what... I wonder what it is at all. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And maybe that maybe the difference is that redneck guy. I don't know if he knows why that worked. I don't know how he came to that conclusion. It is. It's like you might as well have told me that I threw a Lego in the exhaust pipe, and that's the problem. Like that's what it needed. I'm like, I how what? Why would that work? You know? Yeah. Maybe the 140 IQ guy goes, oh yeah, that's that's clever. This is why that's working. And maybe redneck guy has no idea why it worked. He just tried something because I asked right, I, to, right, I every right. time I'm like, dude, you're you're amazing. I have no idea how you can do this stuff. And he always says the same thing. He always says, I'm just a good failure. I just fail mm. and I fail and fail until I get it right. And I'm like, OK, I guess so. But I'm telling you, I I'm not sure my mechanic would have figured that out. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think, yeah, there's a large range in human experience and capability, seemingly an ability. Um, And IQ, yeah, definitely isn't everything. I mean, even recently, there's been some research like or renewed interest in autism and how people with autism tend to have acute thinking in a particular way that really gives them an advantage and I wish I could remember the specifics, but they, yeah, they have, you know, certain ways of thinking on, you know, maybe on average, uh, and those ways of thinking are helpful in particular contexts and whatnot. 
Um, and so anyway, I yeah, I was just trying to make the point that like I don't know if there is a culmination. I don't of like evolution or whatever. Maybe there could be. Maybe man is the culmination, but also maybe like man could be you know different species or whatever one day. I think one huge impediment to that would be that we like live in a globally connected society. You know, just following the evolutionary premise, you'd have to have like separation for a long period of time. Like Darwin's finches, like some lived on islands and never saw other finches for, you know, thousands of years or whatever. And then they became different species. So I think that's probably unlikely to happen today. But if species is identified by not being able to breed, I mean, breed with each other, mm-hmm. like can, can those two finches not crossbreed? Though I feel like any finch can breed with any finch. Well, I what think... Yeah, so that's the definition of species, to make fertile offspring, I think. So even though, like, for example, donkeys and, and horses or whatever can, can make, breed, a mule. make a mule. Yeah, yeah. The, the mules are sterile, so, like, they're two separate species. But they're um, superior. Maybe, I don't I think know. They make, they? I think they did it because they were stronger. Oh, interesting. They could do yeah. something that a regular donkey couldn't do or something like that. Yeah, So they're, but that's, like, an interesting example. It's like... Nature can even play on the fringes, but it's like it's not like a mule can't live on. You know, it's not like a perfect model of the environment and it like can't recreate or whatever and go on into the future in perpetuity. So that's kind of like an interesting uh, thing to think about maybe is like, you know, nature selecting for these things that can have like permanence. That is really weird. I think that doesn't that happen with dogs too, though, sometimes. I feel like yeah, when they're yeah. making breeds, they'll like exactly. breed two animals and you can get one, but it's not allowed to be a like a recognized breed. Like a Shih Tzu or whatever. Like yeah. I don't know if that's one, but like they'll breed two breeds together, but that particular new dog can't breed. So yeah, I think that's that kind of messes with my head a little bit, to be honest. That's, the, the mule one is really kind of mind-blowing to me, that you can reliably make a mule, but you can't make mules make mules like that's weird mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. what and and i don't know if you're like no that's evidence of evolution i'm like or is it anti-evidence for evolution <laughs> like i'm not sure that's there's something weird about that because where's the selective pressure to allow for the breeding and it's like well in the evolutionary story it's like well they're so related because of their ev- their similar evolution that they're still capable of breeding but not breeding fertile offspring it's like i guess hmm. i mean the story works but it's still very strange and you'd think that you'd after time be able to random chance you know get a two mules to breed successfully yeah yeah no i have no idea and just to yeah circle back to the human intelligence thing i yeah i don't know i think it would be good for us to kind of destigmatize IQ or whatever. Like I think low IQ is stigmatized and there's maybe good reason for that. Like people with low IQ tend to have a difficult time finding, you know, stable jobs and and whatnot. Like the military screens out people with low IQ because they can't find productive use of them in the military, like a place to put them where the military would find, you know, them useful and they would find be able well, to Well yeah, it. there's also the opposite though. There's police forces that were, I don't know if they still do this, but they were rejecting high IQ people. Maybe, yeah, at the top end or whatever. They were claiming that if the IQ was too high, the officer would get bored 
and they would quit anyways. Mm. And they were like, it's just too expensive to go all through all this training just to have somebody ride around in their patrol car all day and go, I can't do this. Like not enough mental stimulation. Right. I think that's probably a better way to think about it. Yeah. It's like you want to be on any trade or whatever. It's like it's easiest to get along with other people when you're in the norm of that trade. Like when you're on the extremes, either low or high, depending on, you know, whatever it is. It's a uh, yeah. It's difficult to relate to other people. Um, it's like think thinking versus doing kind of people, right? Yeah, and I think intelligence, like kind of to your point earlier, it is a lot more complicated than just IQ, because people can do really incredible things, like animals. You know, it's like they don't have any like intellect like we do. Like they're not thinking things as far as we know, but they're doing this highly complicated behavior, like. They're credible or capable of incredible feats and incredible mathematical precision. And you're like, how are they doing this? And you may think like, well, that's like high intellect. But then it's like using our IQ scale, it wouldn't pick up that, you know. So it's like, what is that? And you can see the same thing in people. I think kind of your point is like sometimes people can do really incredible things like musicians, for example. Like the best musicians are not always like the highest IQ musicians, although there tends to be some correlate between, you know, intelligence and music and maybe music is actually causing you to have higher intelligence or whatever. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can, there's some incredible musicians who have really low, you know, IQ. And it's like, so what's that about? Like the music is like a very technical, like incredible thing to be able to execute. And so, yeah, I think it would be good to like, you know, sort of strip away the stigma. But then also sort of, I think there's a question for me about like what, what is going on and like how do we think about that and and I don't know it just seems like maybe yeah there could even be like different groups of people like who specialize you could be like there's a group of people who are really good at music and there's a group of people who are really good at you know this other thing I don't know it's just interesting well it used to be very much like the trade-based kind of people you know I mean you're the names of our, you know or even most of our last names come from that kind of thing but yeah yeah yeah, and there is something to, you know, I love to talk about the Jews. Like <laughs> I love to talk about the Jews. You know, aren't you like part Ashkenaz- Ashkenazi? Well, isn't, Ashkenazi? <laughs> isn't everybody part Ashkenazi? <laughs> yeah, every time I check, uh, I get a little more Jewish. That's fine, and makes sense. But and maybe that's why I'm so smart. Because that's my point: is they do seem to be an intelligent breed of people. You know, like mm. they seem the ethnicity yeah. and it's not all it's not like 100 percent. It's just that they're on average. They're such a small yeah. minority physically. Well, people don't want to talk about that. Like there's definitely quite especially back in the day, there was quite a bit of literature on this, like different and IQ by ethnicity and whatnot. And I think people this is OK. I'll just hand you on this for the last couple minutes here but i was thinking about this recently and i think there's some people who take equity to mean like all people are equal like you start with the outcome that you'd like to see but then in doing that if you're like all people should be equal and then you say because all people should be equal all people are equal like you're starting from the ought and then you're making that the is but the reality is that there are differences across people and just your basic human experience will tell you that and even you know, you can take averages of different groups of people and there will be differences in the averages and you can group the people differently and you'll get different results and whatever. 
But in order to like actually achieve equity, for example, like if that's what you're really interested in, it's like different people having the same outcome, everybody getting what they need, which is, I think, maybe not even how people always interpret equity. Um, I mean, it's definitely the difference between equality and equity. Right, right. Everybody getting the same thing versus everybody getting what they need to get a particular outcome, which may be different from person to person. That would be equity. But I was like, if you really do want equity, you actually, you must see how people are different. Because if you don't see how people are different, you can't see their differences in need. And so you're not able to appropriately allocate resources to them. And so I was thinking that's like a big kind of problem with some of these like people who talk a lot about equity, but then are like, there's no differences between all these groups of people. And I'm like, well, you can't have equity if you don't recognize the differences because, and maybe you don't, like you can't do it on an average level, but you at least need to recognize that like, There are differences on an individual level. And yeah, you need to make tailored uh, sort of, what would you call them? Accommodations maybe or whatever. Like giving everyone what they need depends on where everyone is and everyone's at a different place, which means recognizing that everyone is a little different. Yeah. I was looking at, uh, I heard this recently about like the, was it Stanford? Like their new class of surgeons or something. And there's zero white men in the group it's all really zero oh i wonder if that's natural because i know that white men are going to college higher ed especially less and less well it does say well who wants to be a surgeon but it does say i can't find it i was just looking but there was like this thing that went along with it that was like it did not say our goal is to make the best surgeons that give you the best surgery make sure you don't die and yada yada it was like our goal is blah, 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 diversity, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's fine, but terrifying. Because you, you definitely want the best surgeons that are best at mm-hmm. surgeon stuff. You don't, I don't give a shit. I, beam me up to the spaceship and do the surgery if that's the best surgeon. <laughs> I don't care. I'll go to India for the best surgeon. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Which like people it, do, yeah. Right. There's people that are well-known in different places and whatnot. Whatnot. Um, <laughs> isolate that. That's a new clip. Um, what not? Can I see? What not? Ashkashkashkwatch Ash- Ash- Uh, but it, it's like I think that there's they they pitch it in like this diversity whatever context, which could be okay. But I feel like there's a prior question, and that is, can anybody be the best surgeon? Is it like many skills? Like if you put in the work and you can pass the standards, Mm -hmm. then you are good. And because we can do that reliably with anybody, no matter what, that we can therefore focus on diversity, which I'm not saying would be good, but at least you're answering an important question before you go down that road. You know what I mean? Because I don't know if things are like that. That's like the IQ question though. You know what I mean? It's like, because the whole IQ thing is that it's innate kind of and mm-hmm. like you can't really change that too much you're just like if you have this you can IQ, a little bit but yeah but it's and, but IQ's kind of like isn't it sort of measuring your like capacity for learning in, in a way like you're supposedly i think yeah iq measures like your attention kind of actually like your ability to direct your attention towards something which is correlated with all sorts of learning outcomes because that's kind of what learning is. It's like directed attention, you know? Yeah. I took, I remember taking one thing one time. It was something, I I don't even think I finished it. That's how good my attention was. (laughs) 
Anyway, yeah, no, I think uh, the diversity stuff, it's like you really should be clear about what the outcomes are and what matters in the context. So if you're talking about surgeons, for example, like maybe it is like if you can pass, you know, a certain number of tests and demonstrate certain skills and it's like you're a qualified surgeon and anybody who can do those things is a good surgeon. But I think, of course, it's like there will always be a variance in people's ability and the surgeon's proficiency. And you can always measure that according to you could like group, you know, the surgeons by different categories and you would come up with different averages of their proficiency and there might be differences. Now, I think the question becomes, what is the reason for the differences in proficiency? And this is where I get frustrated with like diversity arguments because the diversity arguments suppose that the difference, the causal difference, like what is causing the difference in proficiency is race which I think is actually a proxy for something else. So the race is proxying something that is differentially distributed among populations of people that is actually causing the difference in proficiency. So for example, if there are differences in IQ among different racial groups, for example, maybe IQ is a much more direct proxy of what explains why the surgeons had different proficiency but yeah, race so like the, itself is not the cause but the jews so like the jews might have like a high verbal iq because sure, yeah. back in the day with like guilds and trades like a lot of that stuff even like if you were a smith you weren't a mason because that was like secret that a lot of that stuff was like guarded and you had to apprentice mm-hmm. and like like find a pedophile to like you know make you a good mason or whatever they used to do and I think that Well, that's a good example. Like in that case, it might be like knowledge about a specific thing. And maybe knowledge is being hoarded or protected by one group of people. But that's an actual intervention that we could use to level the playing field. It's like democratize the knowledge. But we can't do that if we never get to the understanding that knowledge is actually the thing causing the difference in performance. Because otherwise, if you just say it's like race, it's like, what are you supposed to do about that? And the only thing to do, I think, which is the scary thing is like, just put people who look like a certain way into the position to manufacture the outcome in the way we want it to be without understanding why the outcome that we didn't like emerged in the first place and how to maybe correct it like causally. Yeah, but I think it gets very complicated because not only do you have like, you have like the, okay, so the Jews were kept out of a lot because they were kind of nomadic. So they were kept out of a lot of the established trades, you know, stationary type Mm -hmm. trades, but they were able to do banking and other types of skill sets, lots of arguing, probably they become, there's lots of Jewish lawyers, you know, so there's, there's the physical fact that they may physically actually genetically be predisposed to mm-hmm. a be, higher yeah. verbal IQ now, which is fully genetic. But then you have to think there's also at play epigenetics perhaps. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's even, that's going to complicate things far, far more. Exactly, and who knows yeah. like which one, is the like I said, we were talking about like the journey towards perfection. Like, which one of those is more right? Like, should is would it be a better world? Let's say, if like just as a racist example, like the Germans were the engineering capital of the world, the Jews were the bankers and lawyers, the uh, whatever you know, the Americans sure, were yeah. the service, or the technology, whatever you know, where you end up with, and then everybody gets a seat at the table. So you have like the equivalent of like. 
there's the Masons and the Smiths and the shoemakers and Mm. the Glovers and, you know, all these things. So I don't know, you know, which one's better or worse, but I do know that another interesting fact that goes along with thinking about that is that in those societies that are supposedly, objectively, more egalitarian, you actually end up with more differences between right, more specialization. distinctions of mm-hmm. individuals. So of like males and females, this group, that group. I I think those are oftentimes discovered in places like Sweden or Norway, where up yep. until very mm-hmm. recently, the people were super homogenized. They were all very the same. You know, Monica said she used to have a friend in Sweden or something like that. Or she does. And she said they all ate, I don't know what day it was, but it was like that every Wednesday they have tacos and wine. Like everyone. Oh, like it's a thing. And she was like, well, they're also a smaller group of people. You know, maybe they just have a more tight knit culture, smaller. Yeah, that stuff transfers. But I think you can see that kind of stuff. And so in a place like America where it's so, the country's big and there's so many different groups of people, it's a little more difficult to like parse that stuff out. But it is informative to at least right. notice that, hey, we we leveled this playing field and said no barriers nowhere or barriers everywhere, but the same for everybody, whatever the case may be. And then let's just see where the chips fall. And it's like they don't fall equally. Male doctors, female nurses, you know, or what, you know, exactly. care based stuff is always female. Labor based stuff is always male. And it's there's no reason anymore to point out any kind of discriminatory thing because we've just actually done away with all the discriminatory factors we've right, put right we've said yes be, and there is know. de facto discrimination and that i think is a problem and we should really think about that and but i don't think it's as much of a problem today maybe as it has been in the past and i think yeah to your point it's like in areas where there is very little de facto discrimination meaning like people aren't barred from doing whatever they want on the basis of their sex, age, gender, whatever, um, you actually find that there are large differences between groups. Because of, you're saying like because of where they live. Yeah, just because of superficial things, which I think is the de facto discrimination that you, we don't want. We want a society where everyone's free to do what they want. Like that's the American dream. And I think, uh, yeah, even when you have that though, you don't see equal outcomes. So I think that's my point really about the, you have Mm. to be clear about what is it that you want? Like what's the outcome that you're seeking? Because if it's, equal representation among everything, well, that's, if you take away de facto discrimination, that doesn't naturally occur, which is the Scandinavian example point. It's like, actually, in countries where that, there is hardly any de facto discrimination, the outcomes are not the same among different groups. And they choose different things, and they have different interests and whatever. And that's fine. I think we should be able to say that that's fine. You know, I don't think, you know, if people got to choose what the, what they wanted and whatnot, and whatnot and they're valued in society, uh, then I think that that's okay. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you just have to be clear about what is it that you're trying to achieve. That's where the culture of critique that we live in becomes so destructive because it's like you don't know, like you're pleading for the continual destruction of everything, all institutions, all categories, all this, all that, while simultaneously making new categories. But it's like... <laughs> yeah. It's Reifying like, the uh, categories, but also saying they need to go... <laughs> Yeah. And so at some point you don't know. So you may be pleading for something to be destroyed that has emerged basically naturally. And and then if you're all your job is, is to go down with the norms, down with the everything, then you're going to destroy your culture because 
whether yeah, there's because yeah. there's going to be a mix of natural and uh, un you know quote unquote unnatural things within your like culture. socially yeah determined things i think too that's like another thing i would be more sympathetic to i think is like instead of being like we need to have equal men and women as one example in every field that seems unlikely to me like unnatural maybe um i think i would be more sympathetic to being like hey we should really look at maybe we are overvaluing men's labor compared to women's labor. Like maybe the nurses like shouldn't get paid way less than the doctors. You know, like maybe their work is just as valuable or something. I think that's a more credible like argument to me. And I think that that I think would appeal to more people um, because I mean, I was in band, you know, and one of the things everybody plays different instruments. You sit in different chairs. You could be first chair, you could be last chair. And maybe people will be like, oh, we should pay this person more. The first chair, you know, percussion player, or the first chair violin should get paid more than everyone else. But at the end of the day, it's like it's one band and you need everyone to make the ensemble play the music and to make it sound good. And everyone has to be cooperating. And so if you take any one person out, it's ruined. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. But is so it ever everyone's the... contribution, you know, matters. Is it ever the case, though, in like in band, for example, where like the first chair and I feel like there's like a couple first chairs that are like even cooler to be. So like you want to be like first chair trumpet, not first chair French horn, like or <laughs> well, first yeah, chair those... saxophone versus first chair like flute or something. I don't know. Yeah, but, they do get paid differently in orchestras, like professional orchestras, like the first chair violin, I think it's paid the most. That's the concert master. And then the first chair trumpet and then like the first chair percussionist and so the first chair oboist. And then are there yeah. cases where like the first chair is like, let's say, is it common or uncommon for like the second chair to think or maybe everyone, maybe a multitude of people in the band think it could have been anyone or alternatively is it that the first chair's first chair and it's obvious they're the best because i think that that matters yeah, too yeah. where like if the first chair mm -hmm. like if i'm trumpet player and there's another guy and i'd like to be first chair because that's like prestigious or i get more money or whatever but i'm like i don't know that guy's just the best and i don't hate everybody because there's no culture of critique we're actually all a team and it's like yeah. Okay, who gets say so first chair comes with a six figure salary, everything else is a five figure salary. Who should we who's first chair? And like I don't know how they pick them, but like whether it was by diktat or democracy, it would be the same outcome and everyone's gonna go, Yeah, that guy's the best. He gets first chair. If he's not first chair, we're not gonna be as good because he's just the best. And if we don't make him first mm -hmm. chair, he's gonna go to the other symphony and be first chair there because it just so happens he actually is the best, so we ought to pay him what he's worth so that he stays and right right you know screw all this equality of outcome stuff that's just not the case here i don't know what is a more common we want the best in our band yeah no i think it, it really is like that there's a natural hierarchy like you're saying like i think people recognize that the first chairs are the best players but the other interesting thing that i think people don't recognize maybe is that everyone is playing a different part so mm. even though they're the best they're not playing all the same parts, you know, like certain people are playing different parts, different chairs play different parts and all the parts are needed. And I think that's the the thing that people miss is actually that the parts aren't different values. Like the first chair violin part, like hearing that part is not more valuable than hearing the second violin part. Like you need both parts and they're equally valuable. Now you may say the people who are playing mm. the first part are differentially talented or you know, qualified, 
maybe they're better performers. And that can be true, but that doesn't mean that we don't need the other people. Like, and maybe they they have a different part to play. And maybe, you know, the because the first chair can't play both parts, you know, like you can only play one part. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, something to think about. It's like the zero sum nature of competition. Like it's not always zero sum like that. Like there may be a natural hierarchy of like different ability and gifting, but not everything collapses into one, you know, position or whatnot. And it's like, sometimes there's just different parts for other people to play and that's fine. And they can shine in those parts, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting problem. I mean, I think like, if you think about like a movie though, like there's like background the actors lead in, the, actor, in the coffee yeah. shop, you know, and it's like they're they, you need them there. Otherwise it looks weird. Right. I mean, but, right. It, but you could never swap them for the lead, you know, because mm-hmm, they're just not, mm-hmm. they don't have the talent. So you're really good at being not awkward in the background. Like you, we say, have a conversation. You just start having a conversation. I find that I think it'd be easier personally to have lines rather than to be like, okay, just have yeah. conversation in the background. I'll be like, uh, hi, how are you? Uh, what's your name? Blah, blah. You know, you got to have some skill. And so, but they don't get paid anything really. I mean, a little bit. Right. So it's, right. but, and you just, but you really can't shuffle it. I think that's just how you do it. You make your bones. But I, and then, and then there are the other issues, which are like barriers to entry and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, that's the kind of stuff that bothers me in regards to like equality of, yeah, yeah. And stuff. It's like, if you have the skill, how much does your skill matter versus how much does your politicking matter? And that's what, that's the kind of crap that I can't stand where it's like, I think everybody gets annoyed by it. That's the kind of de facto discrimination. That's like really frustrating. And it's like, God, I wish we could fix this. You know, like how is it that we, like every person who's capable and wants to have an education should be able to get an education, you know, should be able to go to higher ed. Why does it cost a million bajillion dollars? You know, like that is, like de facto discrimination against poor people almost like I mean how if can you, we figure if, that yeah, out if your whole economy is going to be based on like service industry desk sitting type jobs right, right. then and it's not going to have you know there's work. but not even just that it could be like technical schools too like people who are really good at mechanical things and want to go study they shouldn't be you know why should that be off limits or whatever like we don't want you know to for that to be off limits to anyone of course it can't cost nothing maybe but there should be programs you know maybe to help people who otherwise can't afford it i don't know you know yeah I that's even, it's a long it's diff- yeah it is but it's difficult but i but i will say i mean just based on being somebody who's gone to technical school and universities it's way cheaper to go to tech school <laughs> yeah. and in fact if i had followed a program at the tech school i would have paid far less money and would probably be making far far more money right now in some trade versus getting a degree from a university the main university in the state for psychology and philosophy like i can do philosophy like (laughs) now we can have (laughs) this podcast where we tell you all the things mr a learned in his philosophy classes now i can talk about how i wish i knew how to fix my car yeah the guy who can't spell sale can fix my car but i can tell him about some philosophy papers I read. I asked that guy more questions than I ask anybody else. I'll tell you that much. I probably text him every day saying something and I keep telling him, I'm like, I'm going to pay you back for all this one day. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to send you something. I try to send him business and stuff, but it's like, whatever. Oh my God. Amazing. All right. Well, this has been another episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.